0: Hey everybody we're live welcome to another episode of flail forward uh this is your host rob <laughs> here uh i have with me tonight Catrice. hi Catrice. hi <laughs> mark's here tonight hi mark hello hello and today i'm very happy to uh introduce uh coming back to the show actually uh for the second time uh mr jonathan tweet author of uh Many great RPGs, including D and D Third Edition, Ars Magica, Thirteenth Age, Over the Edge, and the new Everway on Kickstarter right now. It looks gorgeous. I'm, I'm very excited to dig into this and and see what's changed and what's new and talk about it because it's it's kind of been uh, an under the radar game for a lot of people over the years. It had uh, it came out in '95 originally uh, from Wizard of the Coast, and uh, I think it inspired a lot you know, I think the industry is kind of caught up to where it it some of the concepts it was putting forward over the last uh, two, two, two and a half decades. And uh, boy, there, there's uh, so much to unpack. So welcome to the podcast, Jonathan.
1: Yeah, thanks. It's nice to be back.
0: Yeah. So um, first of all, for people who don't know about Everway, um, please describe what it is. Um, what kind of a game is it and uh and and why should we play it
1: yeah so um you know on on the one hand it's a regular role-playing game in which there's a game master and there are players and each player is a character and you have adventures and that all seems perfectly pedestrian Mm -hmm. Uh, but on the other hand uh, instead of using dice it uses a fortune deck which is sort of like a, a custom tarot deck so that the Conflicts are resolved through uh, symbols and uh, imagery rather than through uh, numbers and arithmetic. And, And then it's also designed specifically to let players create characters based on these evocative images that come with the game. So that um, instead of looking at like an equipment list or uh, you know, a list of classes or whatever to try to figure out your character, you look at all these fantasy images that we provide and the ones that move you, you incorporate into your character's story. And then the, the conceit is that the players are spearwalkers who travel from world to world. And so you can really just go ahead and create the character that you want And you don't sort of need other people's permission. You don't need to know what the setting is because you're going to move from place to place. Mm -hmm. You don't need to know what the culture is because you can invent the culture that your character came from. And so um, it's really focused then on letting you create the character that comes to life in your imagination when you look at these cards. And then you take those uh, characters uh, together on on adventures and in, in some ways it's been sort of compared to uh you know like a star trek episode where the um the traveling characters come to a new realm and discover something and figure out what's going on there and interact with it in some way uh and then move on to the next realm for the the next week's episode um i mean obviously it's a role-playing game so you can play it however you want but that's mm-hmm. uh, uh sort of what comes naturally to it and so uh, it's very um uh, very symbol oriented and sort of high concept and free form rather than um, simulationist and uh, and numerical. Mm-hmm. And you know, I um, I had high hopes for it when it came out in nineteen ninety five, and I think it was um, it would have done a lot better if it had come out in uh, twenty twenty, for example. And so now. <laughs> Now here it is. Now I think people are ready for uh, a free-form, narrative-oriented game that uses yep. symbols in place of arithmetic, and um, and the is doing really well. So I, I think I, I think the world is ready, and now uh, Everway is going to have its place.
0: Yeah, I, th- I I think so. I mean, it's um, <clears throat> there are enough games out there now that are doing. I mean, that I would say probably took inspiration from Everway in some form, uh, and uh, you know. That that come with a deck of cards or have some sort of uh, oracle mechanic that isn't that isn't numerical, um, and so I think people are totally ready for for you know a new edition of one of the originals. That's right,
1: and and I think yeah. you're right. It, it did inspire a lot of uh, indie role playing game designs, um, and, you know sometimes it it inspired game masters to uh, run their other games in a, in new ways, and it also inspired game designers to design. Uh, role playing games in new ways like um, uh, you know for example, there's kind of one universal mechanic for how you resolve conflicts and whether that is um, like a bragging contest or whether that is you're spending um, you know a month doing reconnaissance in a new city or whether it's a uh, you know a fight with an ogre or whatever, you can resolve that conflict basically the same way by drawing a card from, uh, the fortune deck, and using the the relative strengths of the um, opposing forces as your guide, and the um, the symbolic result from the fortune deck as the sort of the the random element or the the unpredictable element, um, and and so it moves away from the idea of sort of task resolution, you know, which is rune quest. What's your percent chance to kick open the door? What's your percent chance to move quietly? And it goes. To conflict resolution, like what happens when you try to break into the room, right. uh, um, and so uh, you you see that now in a way that you didn't see that in
0: 1995. Yeah, yeah, I I think I think mm-hmm. a lot of games are moving. I mean, there's a, a significant chunk of games that that you know have moved away from task resolution as even a concept and have moved towards either a concept resol- a conflict resolution type thing or or even skipping that entirely and going straight to like a narrative resolution where there's you know we just get to the next part of the story and don't even you know in some sense the conflict is role played out but not resolved which is kind of interesting that's right and then
1: it's the characters choices that matter it's it's not how much damage do you take when you fight the monster but it is do you fight the monster, or do you befriend the monster, or do you trick the monster, or do you avoid the monster? And then it's that it's that character choice that's more important, and less, you know, how the dice roll. Right.
2: Right. Right. That makes a lot of sense. It's uh, it's interesting to see how. I guess um, I'll get your answer to this question, but. Um, with a character that's so narratively driven and, and built, um, how are they represented in the game? How do you how do you construct your character, and what does that say about you?
1: Yeah, great. Okay, so you you start out with um, canonically, it's five images that you use as the background for your character, uh, and you select those images um, from the ones that, that the game comes with. Of course, you can use whatever you can use you know, Dragon Magazine covers from the 80s, if that's what you want, Uh, right? That'd
0: be a good game. Yeah, I mean, Mm -hmm.
1: you know, anything. Uh, The idea is to have images that are going to inspire you. Um, And then those images can be who who your character is, what your character wants in the future, your character's backstory, your character's uh, arch enemy. And so you create sort of a, a... a narrative background for your character and then you um you do some more like traditional role playing creating where you've got 20 points worth of uh sort of your character power and you split that up among your core attributes and we call those your elements so that's air and fire and water and earth and those represent your physical and emotional and cognitive abilities um, and then um you also can invent uh powers for yourself so you know maybe you are super stealthy uh because of the you know the training that you've had from your background or um uh, you know because your uh, mother was a puma or whatever it is right like you're so um and then you can't uh, allow. you son, totally
3: under- skipped the chance to say your mother was a cougar why <laughs> <laughs> <A spy. Wow. laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh <geez.
3: laughs>
1: Yeah, well, you can tell I haven't thought this through very far. We might have walked and-, <sighs> uh, <laughs> oh, um, and, and so you 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 put points into those powers as well as a way of sort of um, showing to the other players and the game master at the table that you know. The fact that my mother was a a, a wildcat is not um, uh, is just flavor. It's really going to be something that uh, is going to help my uh, my character. And kind of the more points you put into it, the the more broadly you can define how it helps you. Uh, you know that that your um, mother was a feline, um, and so it's, it's, a, it's sort of a combination of. Uh, you get you get the freeform concepting and then you put some numbers on it mostly as a way that everyone at the table can agree what your character is capable of ahead of time um, and and uh, uh, I hope that answers your question obviously there's a little more to it than that but but not a whole lot absolutely
2: no that that I, I really like that idea because I, I know that uh, for some of us here we've also designed some games that are pretty um, open-ended in terms of the narrative. And, and my game, especially, is taking inspiration from games like Everyway. Um So it, it's great to see that this is sort of the catalyst that uh, I mean, I never came across Everway until uh, the Kickstarter. So it's uh, just exciting for me to see where all of these other games that have drawn inspiration uh, are from their source,
1: I guess. So it's, uh, it's beautiful. Um, Thanks, yeah, go ahead. Let me, let me finish up a little bit there because an important part of the creating the character is where the players and the game masters ask questions of each other uh, about their characters and whatever. And so, sometimes those can be s- strictly sort of narrative, right? Like, um, you know, what's the thing that you miss most from your homeland, right? Um, but they can also be things that help everyone understand better what your what characters are capable. Uh, of doing right and so um, you might uh, you might ask someone who's who, you know who's has some sort of odd uh, progeny like their mother was a cougar and um, you, you know then you you can ask sort of uh, how does that help you in a fight or how how um, how does that help your uh, sense of vision or whatever? And then and those those more procedural questions also help everyone start to understand who the character is and, and flesh them out. Yep, that's amazing. That's uh, the same kind of thing that I've
2: taken with uh, with my game Praxis. Um, and there's a similar kind of process that we do for building out the world that all, all the characters play in. Um, what does Everway do in terms of, uh, setting and sort of the great the greater scheme? If you have a traditional GM, is that their purview? Or do the players and their characters and different influences that made them all factor into what the setting becomes?
1: Well, so uh, in, in general, each player has sort of authority over their own character's backstory. And so that's going to include their homeland or, or whatever. right? Mm-hmm. And so you sort of have free reign. Like, I come from a place where, uh, you know, um, the the men are all tattooed but the women are forbidden from having any sort of tattoo or piercing and you you know make up whatever you want and and um have that be part of your backstory maybe you fit in there maybe you don't fit in there um and and then then that's all grist for the mill for the the game master to use whether it's Setting an adventure in that realm, or maybe you run into other people from that realm who are outcasts, and uh, you know you recognize them as oathbreakers from your own culture or whatever. Um, and then the um, usually the game master has sort of the traditional role of uh, sort of inventing the new realm or world that the uh, players go to. Um, one of the things that is nice about the realm spanning or you know world traveling um, motif or conceit is that it's really easy for a player to step up and be the game master for one like a one-off right Hey, I want to do this thing where we go through the portal and we end up in this cool realm that I've got an idea for and then everyone can sort of, Play under that game master, and whatever they come up with in their weird realm is kind of okay because it's the whole point is you're traveling from world to world, uh, and so again, they don't they don't need to follow a canon. They don't need to like find a place on the map where it belongs or whatever like you would in a traditional uh, role playing game. So it does uh, uh, make it a lot easier for players to switch out roles and become uh, uh, game masters, even even if it's just like for a one off.
0: Hmm, that's really interesting and attractive. That's a really cool idea because <clears throat> I've, I've done like round robbing, GMing before, and it, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes it works if, if both two people are on the same page roughly, but like it, it, it's kind of hard to make it work long-term. Um, and that's a really interesting idea that somebody can be like, hey, for one night, let me, I got this idea, um, let's let's see how far it goes, or, you know, and then maybe they take over or, or you know, hand it off on the next session. That's, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. yeah
3: the only way i've seen that ever work is basically under similar conditions where like each individual gm has like their own section of the world that they happen to cover like oh this is my desert area i control everything that happens in the desert if we leave to a different area somebody else gets control of it
0: mm-hmm. yeah interesting there
3: there is one thing that kind of stands out that I have to ask and it's that this was made in 95 under WOTC does have any correlation to planeswalkers at all was this inspirational no. to one or the other was it derivative yeah. of the but, idea or which one came first because
1: uh, now if you look at well, especially if you go back to ninety-five, um, planeswalkers were defined as traveling from world to world and switching out whatever kind of magic they wanted whenever they wanted, and taking whatever shape they wanted whenever they wanted. You know, now Wizards has a better job, a better handle on branding, and so there's the red planeswalker and the blue planeswalker, and they kind of have a real strong flavor. But the but the original planeswalker was in magic was Super abstract and was really just built to match what a player was. And in the same way, a player can play whatever color deck they want, the planeswalker can play whatever, use whatever color magic they want. And so the planeswalkers were really sort of these ciphers that didn't have any particular qualities other than the ability to wield whatever kind of magic that they wanted. And the, the sphere walkers, you call them strangely in, uh, in every way, are the characters that travel from uh, realm to realm. And in some ways, it's kind of the same. Like in Magic, they want you to feel like you, sh- you don't have to be a- attached to a particular color. You can play whatever color you want. Mm-hmm. And, and, and in every way, it is. You can create whatever kind of character you want, so you can come from whatever kind of place that you want. And so both of those use those, the, the, that idea just as a way to grant maximum freedom to the players. And so it's really a case of sort of con, convergent evolution, um, right? where, where they, they wanted freedom for the players, I wanted freedom for the players, so we sort of came up with the same
0: mm-hmm. dick right it, it, it's almost a shame they didn't try and like i don't know you know take the mechanics and, and really like run with you know a a, a match the a gathering rpg although I, I remember at the time there was a very they wanted to keep those things really separate they wanted to you know the the game. it's own thing rpgs are its own thing and never the twain shall meet and now you know they're releasing uh ravnica for D and stuff like that so it's like well I mean, but that's right. It that, has been a constant tension,
1: uh, you know, mm-hmm. between sort of the goobers who want to cross the streams and the brand managers who want to keep control of their brands and whatever. But boy, you can sure use magic cards as inspiration for uh, Everway characters and Everway plots, no problem.
0: Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, it seems, I mean, Everway just, I mean, it, its nature just seems very hackable. Yeah. That's right. And open. Yeah.
1: You know, i have used every mm-hmm. way to run uh, long uh, Amber campaigns. Someone mm-hmm. did a, a hack for Warhammer 40K. Someone did uh, <laughs> Enver, uh, right Greg Stafford's uh, Famous Fantasy World. And sure. so, yeah, it's uh, totally hackable.
0: Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I am kind of curious, though. So it, with the new edition coming out, Now that we know a little bit about every way, for people who don't haven't heard it, what what's changed? Like, what it you know, it being such an open setting, it's almost like, what kind of things are different now that it's that you know, like what lessons did you learn that you've applied to this this new edition?
1: Yeah. Um, So for one thing, it's just put together way better, right? um, It's full color, uh, and yeah, can you imagine how painful that was to. when we did the original Everway and uh, we had all this color art, but we couldn't afford color printing for the rule books. And so everything was gray in there. Yeah. Uh, you know, and now it's, Oh yeah, it's all full color. And um, they've got access to way more art. They've got all the Spearwalker art that they can draw in. And I don't know art from the calendar that we did. And so they just have more art to use more resources. They uh, have bulk things up. Um, I tried to make the rule books um look un non intimidating you know like a D rule books w- would scare beginners and I wanted beginners to look at every way and not be scared and so I the the rule books were physically small and thin and mm-hmm. um uh as still new players were like wow these rules are so long and I'm like are you kidding me these are like I I, I cut the rules to this, you know, there's hardly any monsters described, there's not a lot of worlds described, it's like really trying to make it super simple. And it was yeah, not enough content right the for
3: rate. the
1: gamers. And it was too much rule, you know, too many pages of rules for the beginners. And so now we know you know what, now we're selling to gamers. We know who our audience is. Um and and so uh, there's more monsters and more quests and uh, you know more content more material in every way better maps um, yeah. the rules get touched up a little bit right like uh, so meteor treatment of magic which kind of needed that and um, and some of it was I was a little too clever uh, when I was uh, starting out so like the fortune deck has a secret pattern there's a there's a pair of cards that go together, and a triplet of cards that go together, and four cards that go together. And I thought people would crack that code pretty quick, and no one did. And so now we just show it to you. Like I'm not, I'm not gonna mess around anymore. I want people to see the secret pattern, so it's not secret. That's fine. <laughs> uh, so just the, the packaging is way better. There's you know some uh, simple rules for advancement, which. Uh, the original game, you know, notably lacked, and um, so it didn't take much to to like get it up to speed. Um, but but yeah, it's it's a it's a more solid game now. Like the first one was a really good, you know, a really good first try. But boy, it was super ambitious and. Um, you know, like trying to get the rule book so short that beginners wouldn't be flummoxed by it, what well, it turned out to be a fool's errand, uh, and we learned that lesson. So, right, it's it's just a, it's a more solid version of the game now that we know really what we're doing and who we're selling it to.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's really interesting because, you know, it, when, when I saw the, the thing come up, I was like, oh, great, a new edition of this. I can finally get a copy and, uh, um, you know, really delve into it because I – pds were floating around for a while but like without the fortune deck, it kind of doesn't have that right right and so um you know and you and obviously people used other cars and stuff like that but but the the, having an official like and the and the art the the art for the new ones just just great i mean yeah yeah it's it's very very inspirational uh like the and I'm really excited to get the uh, to get the deck, and because now there's there's two, you've included more than one deck now, so it used to be there was just that the original Fortune deck, and now I'm seeing there's like there's you you you're throwing in a couple extras that are sort of tied to the world, and 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 the flavor of it, but like are, are just are they just imagistic or are they they sort of forming a, like a minor arcana? Or like um,
1: so work? so originally there was, was that?
0: So, me.
1: so originally there was a there's the fortune deck and that's still in it because that's the, the the core mechanic for how things roll and then there's um uh there were 90 cards that were sort of the vision cards that people used to create their worlds or create their characters and that sort of thing and um now there are twice as many cards because we're able to pull in all the art from like the Spherewalker set that came later and whatever. And so those are, uh, it's not like twice as many images that people can draw from. Um, and those are still in it. Those are in the rule book as images. So you don't really need them as separate cards. Um, and there's even kind of a way to um, randomly determine a fortune deck draw if you don't happen to have the deck. But you know, having the deck is, uh, certainly makes the experience uh, richer. And, you Wait, know, what? Or, how
0: how you would know. you do that without the deck? How do you do that?
1: Uh, so the 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 pages uh, you have on, on the bottom, a random fortune deck result. So you oh. can turn to a random page, or you can generate a random number and turn to that page. Um, I mean, it's... Oh, that's it's, super cool. Right, and, and some people are just getting the PDFs, and they're, you know... Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so they won't, uh, they won't have access to the deck. Right. But, yeah. The, the, that
0: fallback is a great idea. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. So, so Thomas. they still have copies of the original uh, fortune deck that are going to be for sale as add-ons. And then they have a new sort of tarot sized um, deluxe fortune deck that has not only the, the core fortune deck of 36 cards, but also uh, sort of um a lesser, uh, a minor arcana um, set of uh, four suits that are uh, each numbered, um, that sort of, uh, that you can, you don't use them for uh, resolving conflicts the way you do the core fortune deck, but you can use them for uh, playing games or any kind of, uh, you know, inspiration for uh, adventures and things.
3: Hmm. Really
0: interesting. Very
1: cool
3: okay Uh, go ahead can i have a question
2: no you
3: go for it okay this has been something that i've been trying to formulate since you were first describing this i'm still not sure if this is a good way to put it so like when you were mentioning like the uh you had like secret codes built into the game and the players just didn't really kind of pick up on them like i can kind of s- see that because like it's so heavily interpretive but that led to like the main thing that i that's been bugging me is like how do you quantitize the strength when you're not using numbers like there's some like the pictures no that's
1: a good question you' are yeah yeah but- yeah, that, that, that's. it. I, I mean, it's like you still want to. You're still going to have conflicts where someone's going to win and someone's going to lose, and you and you want to know how that turns out, right? Um, and so, uh, I I might uh, you you do it. At, I, I might be too clever when I say you don't use arithmetic, like you don't use addition and subtraction and that sort of thing. You do have numbers associated with your uh elemental scores and you use those as um to sort of gauge what you expect to come out of a conflict and so so for example um if you are doing a fiery act you know something that has to do with uh force and violence and speed like a, a battle uh, then you would look at your fire score and maybe your fire score has a specialty that's sword fighting or has something to do with combat and then that will affect your effective score for that conflict but you're gonna have a number like three or six or something which represents sort of um, how good you are at this thing and your opponent's gonna have uh, another number um, similar to that and so before you even draw the card you the game master looks at the results and sort of frames everything like, uh you should be able to take this person out because you're a great swordsman um and you know you've sized this person up like if they get lucky you might get badly hurt or something but that's probably the worst that's going to happen to you um so you know that's the risk you're taking if you get into this battle and and then uh once that's understood you draw the card and um the some cards are going to be good. Some cards are going to be bad. Each card can be upright or upside down. And so there are as many good results as bad results. Um, and, and the more the card mm-hmm. relates to the conflict, the greater the variance in the result. So like if you get um, uh, a card like the body prevails and it's the uh, lion card. Uh, with the lizard on it it's got the uh what's associated with the fire element and it's about the body and you're doing a fight and it's upright it's like well, wow, that is one of the best cards that you could get for being in a physical altercation so you know and you're the better combatant you can kind of tell me uh how you take this person out you you know Uh, do you knock your legs out from Yandrum? Do you kill them in a flashy way so that everyone's impressed? you know, like, what is it, what do you do to this person? Um, on the other hand, if that card's upside down, well, then that's one of the worst cards you could get because the opposite of the body prevailing is the body failing. Mm -hmm. And so the game master can say, well, I told you if things got, you know, if you got unlucky, you could get a bad result out of this. And so you defeat him, but you, uh... You know, maybe the opponent's got a, a club or something like that. And it's like, but but you've been badly brained and you're groggy and and uh, you're going to have trouble uh, until you can rest and recover or, or, or whatever. And then if it's a middling result, like maybe it's the soul card. And so then if, well, that doesn't have a lot to do with battle and it's kind of a middling result for you. So you'd expect a middling result in the battle, which is, you know, you you beat the guy about like you would expect, and it's not pretty, um, but you, you know, you escape the worst of it, um, and maybe if it's the, the, the soul card, maybe the game master can, uh, it, it or, or the player for that matter, can improvise some way in which maybe a lesson gets learned, or this person, um, uh, is defeated, but somehow touches your soul uh, with their uh, cries or whatever, or uh, says something that reminds you of your younger brother or whatever it is. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes you're just literally looking at the picture, right? Like, Oh, well, this, the guy in this picture has got a, a spear and a shield. So the guy with the spear and the shield does better than the, than you cause you've got a sword or whatever it is. Um, but what it, in the same way that I talked earlier about how you frame what characters are capable of doing through questions um, in the character creation process, you also frame what to expect from conflicts uh, in, in mm. sort of ahead of time. And and you know, since you can resolve a battle with a card draw, it means it's rather than like a long series of dice rolls, then. You, you can not spend uh, about an amount of time ahead of time talking about what is going to come up so that when that card gets drawn, everyone is looking at that card. They know what's at stake and they're hoping for the good card. Um, and you, and you can afford to put a little extra time into framing everything that the players do because it's then going to be resolved really quickly.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. I, I like that
2: idea. I'm, I'm curious, do you have, uh, a way of deciding who has the final say? Is this like the purview of the GM to decide how to interpret these cards, or does all yeah, the
1: players back? It's definitely the purview of the Game Master. Like, in, it, So in some ways, it's really a trad role-play game, right? There's a Game Master uh-huh. who has a world, and you interact with that world through your character, and, um, and, and that sort of grounding. Uh, uh, allows the other freeform stuff to to uh, sort of flourish, right? Like it's it's grounded enough in a regular kind of game master familiar with that um, elements don't wind up people to um, into fiction of what's going on and. So, you have to be careful that um, the uh, is always from the perspective of the player. I actually let the player cut the card and, 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 and so the card good card it's good for the player and you know you wanna you wanna avoid the temptation of drawing the card and then figuring out who, who you know Who's bad luck does the bad luck represent? Well, right. whatever, the card always has to represent the player so that you don't have that extra layer of question of like how how things uh, are interpreted. And usually it's <laughs> the if the game master is looking to the player for input, it's within the realm of narration rather than procedure. So it would be something like, well, yeah, you got you've got this guy dead to rights. You're a better combatant than they are and you drew a great card. And so as the game master, I will tell you that you've defeated him. And as the player, you can tell me what that looks like to the audience or you know,
0: whatever. Hmm. Hmm. Does the player get like, more leeway in that way? So where, where the game master could you know, decide the final result, how, like, the player gets like, an, sort of a, an expansive sandbox of narrative choices to sort of like, oh, I defeat him, but in such a way that impresses the king, let's say. Or yeah, so it,
1: yeah. right and it, that depends on how the, how the draw comes right and so if it's like a middling result yeah you're not really going to get anything out of it other than beating the guy you beat the guy that's what you expected that's good but if it's a great result then it's like okay now i'm going to give you a, the opportunity to do something special you can show okay. off you can show mercy you can uh you know scare people you you know whatever like that that uh, it, it, exactly and so it depends on it depends on the card draw how much kind of leeway the player gets to um, uh, to decide what the results are. But but like a trad traditional role playing game, right? The the game master really takes the responsibility for to, uh, interpreting the results based on what mm-hmm. they know about the opposition, the strength of the opposition, and whatever. Because the the game master knows sort of the stats of the opponents and the stats of the player, and so they're the ones with the um with, with all the information and they're the ones sort of granted the authority to uh to rule on results okay. makes sense i uh so,
2: yeah go ahead Kat.
3: okay so the individual cards it sounds like they have probably numbers on them to some degree but also the images as well so like it sounds like you've got a combination of like people understand three is greater than two in most cases unless it's inverted from the sounds yeah
1: that's um so yes and no the um uh the the secret pattern has you know there are eight deities and there are seven planets and there are six uh mythical beasts or whatever but but uh the cards themselves don't have a numeric value like there's no card that is higher or lower than another card it's the it's what the cards represent right and so um uh so some cards represent a a good thing happening like the body prevails the mind prevails or whatever uh and um some uh the cockatrice represents corruption so that's not a good card to get right um and so it's it is more like uh it it really is symbolic, and the only way that it's more mechanical than that is that the cards do have sort of representations, and so you know the cockatrice uh, is uh, I think earth and water are its elements, and so if you're trying an earth or water thing, the cockatrice card is going to be more salient for you. It's going to be worse mm-hmm. usually, and if it's reversed, then it's going to be better. Uh, Because it'll be the the opposite of corruption; it'll be purification or whatever. But if you're trying an air task or a fire task, well, that's an earth and water card, so it's going to—it's still bad because corruption is bad no matter what. But it's not as bad. um, uh, Like it's not as bad to to draw a cockatrice card if you're you're doing a fire task or an air task because it's not related to fire or air. And likewise, if you get the reverse cockatrice, it's good. But it's better if the elements are associated with it. Oh. And then the, the, the Guide to the Fortune deck sort of tells you what planet each one is associated with and what, uh, um, what elements they're associated with, if any. And Like each of the deities is associated with uh, one or two elements. Each of the uh, mythic beasts is associated with two. Each season is associated with one, um, and, uh, and so on interesting
3: okay so this actually sounds kind of complicated like i does it say anywhere's on the card itself that the cockatrice is actually related to corruption or do you actually need to like cross-reference this with charts that's a
1: good good question The, the the new version actually says corruption on it and then upside down at the top has the opposite of that right and so you it It is spelled out, and the little element symbols now appear on the side of the card, and so um it's a it's it is clearer now than it was in the past mm-hmm. um and then also it's sort of like you, you know you're you, as the game master you're free to interpret it how you want uh right like it's it isn't it isn't like there is a right way to inter- interpret the cockatrice card, and so um
3: so, so for, for, yeah. just for an example, Bob, yeah. like you could say that we know that it's a, the cockatrice is going to be corruption, we know it's going to be affecting the player, could you say that it's like, it corrupts them as in it gives them like demonic strength, but it actually ends up corrupting them in the process so that, they're a little less human afterwards?
1: Yeah, if certainly if there's some supernatural force or whatever that that seems like that or, you know something in the character's backstory or something that's going on in the plot where where, where you could do exactly that like yes, you win the battle uh, you know but um, uh, but you you drew the cockatrice card and it does sort of uh, it does sort of damage your soul the uh the way you you know you see this person crowd in pain as they die in front of you and uh so yeah, that's right it might it might be the the conflict comes out great, but the bad thing that happens just like you say is some uh unforeseen result hmm. right and that's hmm. one of the neat things about the fortune deck is that it's not just a numeric good bad result it it is also a symbolic you know, metaphorical or, or narrative result. Hmm.
2: That, I, I really like that. It, um, it it does remind me a lot of like what I've been designing, so it, I feel very uh, close to it. Um, one of the challenges that I know I faced with this kind of game was uh, in progression, and you did say that that was something that you have added into this version of the game, because um, I think it's it's pretty interesting to say how do you carry your character forward from one session to the next how do you remark on things like oh i've gained corruption or these are the kinds of injuries that i sustained um are those things written down are they part of the character in some way how do you progress and advance in, as a character uh narratively and mechanically if there is a mechanical change
1: yeah the um uh so the original just had you um Uh, progress or suffer uh, on a uh, strictly narrative um, uh, strictly in narrative terms the way a character in a novel could learn something new and then be better at it or could uh, write uh, or get their arm broken and now they're going to have sort of trouble in a fight and uh, um, the new so the new Everway obviously uh, has that, like any, anyone can sort of, um, you always have uh, n- narrative possibilities for things. There was a character in m- my early Everway campaign that was sort of stabbed with a demonic knife and had her uh, power of empathy sort of um, twisted into something um, uh, weird and, and, uh, and, and corrupt. Right. And um, so that's something that just comes through uh, narrative. You there also just some it's 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 hard to do like there's nothing like level advancement because you create a character that's already super cool. um, uh, But there is now sort of a system where you can uh, uh, gain uh, gain boons and um, gain sort of. Like over time, gain specific incremental uh, improvements to your uh, character. Awesome. And those are sort of written down on a character sheet that you take from then such that's, a that, that's right. They become part of the, your, your character. In addition to your elements, they have, for example, uh, a specialty with each element. That mm. sort of thing. Uh, the 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 thing that makes them. You know, of all the people who have five fire, what can you do with fire better than uh, anybody else Right. Again? um or you know that, that that sort of thing. So that and then again, that's totally free form in that there isn't a list uh that you draw from. You come up with something there's there's like a there's a long list of examples so you see how that works in general, but it's uh uh it's really up to you to um hmm. uh it's up to you to yeah. decide for your particular character. Yeah, makes sense. The context of how you designed
2: your character, what kind of world you're in, makes sense.
0: Cool. Yeah, I I have another question. that's kind of <clears throat> this is kind of outside Everway as such, but like you've done a couple of games that are so Everway has a strong uh, magical theme to it. The four elements based in classic Greek mythology. And hermeticism and Ars Magica has is like steeped in that. What initially and and obviously the um, the Everway deck is is similar to the tarot in, in in many ways. What drew you initially to this subject as as sort of something you wanted to explore in RPG?
1: Yeah, that's an interesting question. In some ways, you know the. Um... magic is one of the most important parts of a uh of a role-playing game in terms of defining what characters can do because in the real world we don't have magic for everyone to look at and understand how it works right mm-hmm. um and so like when when i worked on our uh, spocket comes about wizards in the Middle Ages. Obviously, you you know, I, I had to do a bunch of research on magic in the Middle Ages. And I, I wrote stuff like uh, for Call of Cthulhu. I got an article published about uh, Egyptian magic. And so I just did a lot of research into real world magic mm-hmm. uh, for the games before Everway. So by the time I got to Everway, I was already kind of steeped in... Um, you know, astrology and the um, Aristotelian elements and how those work and all that kind of stuff. Um, And that, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, I'm fascinated with um, different cultures and different belief systems and uh, different supernatural beliefs. And so the idea that you can, um, in a role-playing game, you can then sort of... uh, I don't know, Distill down what other people are doing, uh, what other cultures have done or believed or whatever into into something that's evocative enough uh, to inspire people and then also maybe clear enough that people can, um, uh, you know, use it in a game. Mm -hmm. Hmm.
3: Uh,
1: So I also want to say for for the new system, um, in terms of advancement, uh, there's a Karma Point system Um, where you can, uh, the player, the game master can sort of grant karma points. So these are sort of like fortune points from the 007 game, which I think of as the first real story game. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so these are things that the players can use to get uh, an advantage. Um, That that sort of, you know, give give them the extra boost that heroes often get or need in uh, narrative.
0: I see. Interesting. But so, so this the sort of the, the research in that you did into, um, into different varieties of magic. It's it sort of per, it, I mean, it, you pursued the sort of Western, the sort of Western tradition, which is, it's, I mean, it's almost bottomless just by itself to go back to ancient Egypt and pre, even, you know, maybe even before that, who knows. And um, I, I've, you know, in doing research for, for my game, I've done, have to, <laughs> gone back similar and in, in, gone through similar threads, so it's not surprising that I'm finding like when I was, so I, I had a I found a PDF of Everway, the original the '95 one, and I was looking through it, and there's a lot of concepts in there that that are cropping up in my game as well, um, and probably for the same reasons that we that there's some sort of convergence on. Um, Certain certain ideas that are pervasive through human history and through and and that crop up again and again in different cultures, like you know the Trinity, the the the, the elements, you know, however they're depicted, um, but their associations, yeah, but their associations seem to be sim- pretty consistent, which is interesting. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and and what what's neat about it, I think, is that, um, you know, I I think that people take to magical thinking pretty easily. Yeah. And, and so, and that's one of the things that makes fantasy role-playing games fun, right? Is that, that yeah, uh, you know, it, it almost feels more natural for us to think of like an evil thing being, uh, having a contagious evil and the people who touch it are gonna be corrupted, right? Mm-hmm. Like that seems really natural to us. That's that's a, a intuitive way of thinking. Yeah, uh, and uh, uh, and so you know what what supernatural beliefs do is they just take those intuitions of ours and and describe them as real as the way you know things really work, mm-hmm. and so uh, and that's what role playing games do. And What I like about Everway is that instead of being like you know magic is uh, a series of combat maneuvers that you can do. Which is kind of where where D and D started, and it's more like, yeah, it's this it's this weird mythical thing that you can be involved in, and you're can't ever be sure what it really means, uh, or you know what 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 it's going to mean when you go to the next realm, and what is the magic going to be like, and you can you're you're going to be able to intuit it because it's going to be you know in, intuitive, kind of natural. Um, uh, but on the other hand, it's, it's kind of wide open in terms of what you can do, you know, with curses and blessings and, um, karma and all the kind of stuff that that comes naturally to people.
0: Right. Right. I mean, it's interesting because the, um, that, that sort of, I don't know, magical thinking So we, we, we touched on, I mean, our last podcast was just like about why, why you put magic in in an RPG, um. And, and the different kinds, you know, like and we were sort of coming to this idea of the, the, the a divergence in something like D, uh, between technological and mythological magic, or at least this was something I was working on or thinking about. And it was like, you know, the technological kind of magic is the kind of combat movie where you know you have an effect that you fire off and it kind of does the same thing every time and it behaves more or less like science. And, and you know, which is like the the player side spells in DD, but like the GM side stuff, like the arena. Spells are, you know, the the spells that take place in the world aren't limited by such things, and they have a more mythological component. But they're off limits to the players in some sense, and it's really interesting to, you know, uh, have in the very next podcast we do like an example of the exact opposite, where it's it's not technological at all. In fact, it's it's um, associative and imagistic, which is more how real world magic works. It is it's imagistic and associative. and uh it's it, it's interesting to see that sort of concretized and formalized uh using a, a set of magical tools like a tarot deck uh, so yeah it it's, it's this kind of game uh i think there's an unexplored territory that this game is still fresh in because there's a lot of games out there that are still that still treat magic as technology and and nothing else, yeah. It's fascinating. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I, I think I think the world is ready for it now. 25 years mm-hmm. after Yeah, it I over.
0: think so. I, I think magic's coming back, but that's that's a different that's a different conversation.
3: Okay, I I gotta ask, how how strictly built into the game system are things like? The elements, for example, that was that was one that we were going through like a moment ago. Mm-hmm. So, like you have like the earth, air, fire, water. But is there any reason you couldn't create your own deck which used, say, the thirteen Asian elements instead of the four Greek elements, or something similar to that?
1: I mean, it, there's basically no way you could, no no reason you couldn't c- sort of create up your your own deck. The mm-hmm. The one nice thing about the way the system is now is that the characters have four Aristotelian elements as representing aspects of their selves. So mm-hmm. it's a cognitive ability and physical ability and spiritual ability and that sort of thing. Um, and and then those are also reflected in the deck. And so that that makes a kind of a nice the elements, and so, um there's no reason for you you know it's not necessary like you could totally do uh whatever other kind of uh deck that suited you Hmm. okay so
3: uh, it's not like sorry go ahead okay it's just it's not like there's specific themes that are built into the deck that have to be adhered to then yeah that's yeah that's
1: exactly right and lots of lots of Uh, times complex can be resolved without a deck draw right like uh you know you uh you go into the library and you are looking for a special you know information on the thing that you need and you have a high air score and your specialty is like literacy or something you know the game master can just say yeah you you won you've earned it like you don't have to draw you can you find the thing that you need and let's just keep going with the story um and so there it doesn't even matter what what deck you have, and uh, right. And what
0: hmm. what 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 kind of difficulties did you encounter in trying to put something like this together? Because like, you know, in, in game design, a, a lot of people start out with sort of the mechanical side of it and trying to get that together, and um, and and or they'll attack the narrative side and then try to apply mechanics later. When you're doing something that's imagistic, how do you? <laughs> I mean that's a kind of design that doesn't that doesn't really come I don't see how you would get started and then how you would iterate. So like yeah.
1: That's right because it's since it's not mechanical like you can't play the fortune deck for a while and realize, wow, it needs to be 20% stronger or whatever. Right. right? That, that's right. Um So part of it was, you know, we—I started playing with uh, uh, using the tarot deck mm-hmm. because that's what was available and that's what I knew and that seemed cool. Um, Which one? And, uh, the the, the Thoth or the Rider Waite? Yeah, I mean it was the Rider weight one basically. Okay. Um, but the um, like the tarot deck—that was just a—that's a specialty playing deck for playing games from the middle ages right it was not originally for any kind of divination or magic or whatever and there are still um uh, other decks like that 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 get get played and the the major arcana were just trump cards is all they were right Mm -hmm. um so uh so, but, but now the tarot has picked up all this kind of resonance and it's all, you know, people are familiar with, this, especially the Rider weight imagery. And so that's what I wanted to, to use. I'm glad that we didn't because it, it really makes you think of sort of high middle ages Europe. Right. Right. And so, the, so we broke away from that. And the one way we iterated was instead of using the tarot deck, we created a new fortune deck and then had things that are, you know, sort of more universal and less uh feel less like you know i don't know a goth teenager's bedroom or whatever
0: <laughs> hey now uh, as a goth teenager with a bedroom
1: i mean i had my tarot have. cards you know i'm not I, I i yeah tarot cards are cool i, I yeah. was gonna say
0: um and i, I take your point yeah
1: but but they yeah they reflect a certain uh, a certain aesthetic and not not really a global one and uh, and not sort of the you know kind of more ancient and and um, uh, and mythic uh, feel that we were going for for way. So part of it was swapping that uh, deck out. Um, the the new. The new rules, you know, like I said, provide some more guidance for uh, advancement and things like that that we sort of didn't get right the first time around. With, with Everway, it was—I mean—it was a rush to get it together and to publish it. And um, I'm glad we published it when we did because if we, we were going to publish it six months later, it would have been canceled before it was ever published. So, um you know there was it was within six months of the game being released, that's when Wizards of the Coast did their first uh sort of top to bottom profit and loss statement. they realized how much money they were losing on things like the library uh mm-hmm. you know, and the um the studio that was doing, uh, you know, video dramas of magic scenarios or whatever. It's like, yeah, I guess all that stuff has to get cut. And then role-playing games got cut at the same time. Um, but, you know, if we had really wanted to reach a new audience and reach new players who weren't familiar with role-playing games, which is kind of the idea, we would have had to put a lot more testing into it. And um, and so, uh you know, we we've learned a lot since then. Partly because we just didn't um, we we had a big high concept and we rushed it out to the door, and we did did the best we can, but we didn't um, we didn't do a lot of testing and we didn't uh, do a lot of fine tuning.
0: Hmm.
1: And, but, and but that's one of the great around. things about this, the silver anniversary. Yeah. is like our now it's our opportunity. So to you know learn from what we've experienced and make the game better.
0: Mm-hmm. so, so how, how did the tarot deck get iterated on? Because like the idea of having the different the fortune cards that um, like is there some way where you were you were playing the game and certain cards would have a bigger impact than others, and was there a tuning process that went through that or, or how, how that worked this time I mean, around? I mean
1: I mean the main, the main iteration there was just a swap of like, okay, we, we see how the game works with the tarot deck. And it's okay, but we, we want to do our own deck and really have control over it. I and see. so that, that, was the, that was the big uh, uh, change that we made. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the stuff in terms of the narrative, we changed up a little bit. There was a time where I wanted Sanskrit to be the universal language. Uh-huh. Right? Uh-huh. And
0: then I would... <laughs> right. How
1: geeky yeah, well, is
3: that?
0: I mean, I, I, that makes sense to me. I mean, I mean was... right.
1: yeah, wow. well, it made sense to me too, but I thought better of it.
0: Um, <laughs> yeah I, I suppose you're right but it'd, it'd be kind of cool that like yeah
1: so so on the topic of language when i was doing research for over the edge that was my modern day role-playing game yeah. and like oh like every way it's very multicultural like in every way you're traveling among the spheres and so you see people that look like they come from all sorts of different cultures and they come from all sorts of different ancestries and um you know and and Uh, Over the Edge was sort of the same, um, even though it's modern day, but it was kind of like a metropolis where people come from all over the world. And so I did research into Arabic names and Chinese names. And 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 the thing that I found is that if you have um, names that don't mean something in the language that the people are speaking, usually that's because it's associated with there's some sort of culture that uses a holy book that's written in another language, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, uh, and so, like in in Arabic, uh, their holy book is Arabic, and so they their names are all like uh, blessed and praiseworthy. Muhammad means praiseworthy, um, mm-hmm. and so they they have names for girls like a little ingot of silver and she-goat and whatever but those are but they're all real words in their language and in in english we have names like jonathan which are regular terms you know it's gift of yah but it's in hebrew and so it's been transliterated into english and so you know D and D players make their characters' names like I'm Rosgaric or whatever, because they're used to being in a culture where the names don't mean anything in the native language that people are speaking. But but the default is everywhere in the world the names that people have really mean something, and mm-hmm. so that's what they are in every way. Like everyone, um, there's been no Tower of Babel, so everyone is speaking the same language, and mm-hmm. you know, you're you're you know, I changed my character's name from. Ibn Agni, or whatever the son of fire, to fire son, because it's like okay, we're just gonna we're just gonna use real words for people's names, and that's true for the cities and the realms and the um, and and just about everything.
0: Yeah, that's that's an interesting idea. Having having um, a sort of de uh, what, like a language denuded of its veil between uh, past and present, in a sense, because you, you, what you're doing i mean it, you know peter means rock right so it's like it's it's the sort of thing where you have um you're 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 living in the time where the language was a direct connection to the world as opposed to uh you know a one step removed through uh yeah that's interesting hmm was there something that particularly prompted that change, or just so that people would have, because because you saying, like, there is one, or is that why, was that a conceit so that the spear walkers don't have to do like code switching every time they, they change worlds? The
1: idea is everyone just speaks the same language, right? Got it. Right, there's been no Tower of Babel, and so, you know, uh, everyone speaks the true language that the gods gave them at the start of the world, and, and you know, and there's, there's sort of a Satan figure in the uh, in the canon who um, has a different me. a different language for the, his followers or whatever, but mm. uh, hmm. uh, but that's the exception.
3: So and that way, you know,
1: wherever you go, right, you can speak the language and it's really convenient. Does yeah, the that's,
3: language that's so ever branch off like usually a living language? adapts over time, like even countries that are right next to each other, even towns. But, that,
1: but that's because of the Tower of Babel. If it weren't for the Tower of Babel, then the languages would remain fixed. That's, that's, the, okay,
3: that's the... so... Okay, so... In a very weird hypothetical situation, then, if you travel from an area that's very volcanic and you go to an area that's completely covered in snow, they're not going to have different phrases or even basically sayings that would be different in in the different areas hmm.
1: So you know I sure didn't get into that in the canon, but I also never say that that's not true and for you know you can you can easily imagine that one of the ways that you uh, sort of define the new realm that you've created is that you invent Idioms that aren't that don't exist other places, right? And so that's a way of marking the group out as uh, different linguistically while still allowing them to, um, uh, you know, to, to interact with the characters. So, like, maybe you go to a realm where it's traditional to give all children under six. Uh, disgusting, scatological names so that the gods don't become envious of them and kill them. So all the little kids are like shithead or right to the face. Right? And so...
3: I can't help but think this would be a very advantageous thing for ancient Greece.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I I think there's... <laughs> I think think I'm inspired by an actual culture, but I haven't done my research recently, so I'm not going to name it, but um, I'm I'm only half making this up. But that would be a way of showing, yeah, okay, the people here are different and they've got different linguistic customs, but I can Mm -hmm. still talk with them. I still understand what they're saying. And in fact, it's more interesting because when they call their kids shithead, I understand what they mean.
0: Right, right, as opposed to, you know... Right, that's that's funny. You're like, and then and then it creates an interesting moment where you're like, wait a second, why why are you calling every like every kid's called a shithead? Like what? <laughs> like, yeah, that's funny. <laughs>
1: um. I mean, yeah, re- I mean realistically, of course, languages would diverge and whatever like that just happens naturally, and you can see that when you study, um, you know, like like uh, tribal languages where people and on. Uh, Different ends of the territory, are their languages are starting to diverge, and they're getting new dialects or whatever. And that—that's right. But gosh, you don't want that in the game setting. You want a game setting where people can talk to everybody. And so, you know, it's—it's it's mythic. It's not scientific. It's not anthropological.
0: Right, 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 right. I mean, I, I mean, I guess if you wanted to do that, you would probably just just make that the point of the game, and 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 run with that as opposed to like. But, but since it's not the point of the game, you just sort of like here's everybody can speak the same thing. Here's the reason why let's move past it so everybody can have fun. Yeah, I mean there's considerations I think that that make a lot of sense to, um, mm-hmm. you know, there there are conceits in in fantasy world that you want for ease of use. I think that's a that's a pretty decent way to do it. Yeah,
3: yeah. Even in my own game, like I this was one of the first things that I made sure of is that there was a way to translate stuff between different characters, like, especially since they were coming from completely different planets. So they're not going to have any kind of base mother tongue that it's, that you could even translate stuff back to. Right. So if you don't have some way to communicate, it kind of cuts down on almost anything that you're going to have in terms of like, interpretation or meaning or anything like you, yeah, you can't even have deeper yeah. conversations
1: and that's one of the things i've learned about it uh, in running role-playing games is the stuff that everyone wants to have happen go ahead and let that happen people want to right. talk to each other just make whatever you takes. make sure that people can talk to each other right like don't whatever don't don't make it hard
0: right you know, there's a certain amount of uh, glossing over of minutiae and real world friction that I think makes RPGs, I think that's one of the things that makes RPGs fun because you can get to, you can get to the overarching narrative that people want without going through like, oh, I got to convert this currency to this other currency in order to buy this sword but if i take this sword over to the other place i have to convert it back to your and it's like why are we doing this like you know yeah i'm not here to play spreadsheets and whatnot unless you're
3: there are definitely players that do enjoy that but that doesn't seem to be your target audience on this like you're moving very heavily away from things like the mathematical side of stuff the interesting thing that i've noticed though is that this doesn't really feel like a simple game. It actually feels like a very advanced game. It's just that the advanced side is not on the math and numeric side things. It's on your capacity for interpretation or improv. Like yeah, for... and, and I
1: would say it's it, 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 it does rely on the game master in a, a pretty heavily in that the game master has to take responsibility for figuring out things that happen without having a bunch of random tables and that sort of thing. For the person who's just a player, it's actually really easy, and I've had a great time introducing new players to the game, right? Like the, the images uh, draw people's imagination out, and they create characters that they wouldn't have come up with on their own, and they often are really excited about how fun it is to, to create something once they're inspired by the imagery. And then they don't really have to uh, worry about the, the arithmetic of how things work. Like there's, there's practically no sort of game mastery. Like in D&D, you have to sort of figure out, you know, how many hit points do you have left before you want to retreat? Or should you cast your spell now or wait? And they're like real tactical decisions that you're making. And in every way, the decisions that you're making are the kind of decisions a fictional character could make. So anybody can make them. Do you want to bluff? Do you want to pe- press your luck? Do you want to get in a risky fight? Do you want to run away? And those are all, you know, s- sort of narrative uh, questions that that anybody can answer. And so, uh, like my late wife never played role-playing games with me except for a session of Everway. Uh, we had a did a eight session uh, campaign that you know. Pretty memorable, and there was another uh, woman in the game who uh, hardly ever played role-playing games. But you know, it's you—you you need to know your character, and uh, and that's really about it. You don't really need to understand the system or anything like that to to play effectively.
0: Yeah, that's that's something that's a big advantage these days because you know, there's there's even even among RPG players, right? The people that play a lot of RPGs, like having to getting a new book. And then being like, hey, we need to digest like 200 pages of stuff in order to get going. Um, you know, that's call order for a lot of people. You know, a lot of people that are like, if you have a day job and and, and a life outside of that stuff, there's like a, a certain number of RPGs you can even digest. And to have something where you can, you know, somebody can pick it up and and you're like, hey, we're doing this tonight. You don't have to read anything; just show up. Um, you know, I, I, I played a game over. Um, over Christmas break with my mom, who had never played an RPG before, we played Dialect, and uh, Dialect is is similar in that way where there's no there's no mechanical tags, there's no there's no game mastery to learn, there's no like, oh you know oh I can run out a magic missile that why how is that a thing, um, you know there's it, it's the sort of thing where you can anybody that's familiar with fiction can sort of go oh okay I get I get air air sort of intellect fire earth water and 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 there's there's enough of that in the popular culture that like it's not a tall ask just to to have someone sit down and go like we you don't know these rules but you actually really don't need to know them it's just sort of here you go you know um, and I think a lot of games the games that are taking advantage of that I think are have a big advantage on their side of of you know ease of use is a is I think increasingly a factor in RPGs these days because. It's, it's just the sort of thing where where you know like the new pathfinder books like 500 pages you know and like i have two friends that recommended it and i'm like ah i don't know you know
1: right and if, and if you're playing remotely you want something that plays fast you don't yeah. you don't want to have a bunch of moving characters on a battle mat and right, right locations and that
0: kind of stuff yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it's a. I mean, to me, that kind of gameplay is a big plus because for that exact reason where you don't need, like, I, you know, I don't want to have to look up, I don't want to have to crack the book open in the middle of play in, and stop the action so that we can figure out exactly, you know, it, it, am I stunned or am I sickened? Right. You know, and it's just like, ah, this same, is- same difference. Let's, let's keep going. You
2: know. I, I was just going to also add on to what you were saying about how well this can play remotely, because the fact that it's just centered around this deck means that you just need the, the game master to have the, the kind of deck on hand. So you can kind of mm-hmm. show it to the camera. And everyone can get to see what's going on and, and interpret. And this is a game that I think plays very much at um, at the level of like eye contact with other players. Like There's some games where I think everyone's looking down at the table. This is where yeah. everyone's yeah, yeah. Interacting with each other, I think, in terms of like what their characters are saying, how they're interpreting these cards, and I really love that idea for like the kind of gaming that we're doing now, where everyone's kind of virtually trying to interact with each other in a safe way. So this is this is a really cool, very visual uh, system that you can definitely use in online gaming.
0: Yeah, I think so. Are you guys going to release like a uh, like a, a PDF of the cards too? Because that, that might be something really nice for uh, online players to be like, oh, I'm going to flip to page whatever it is 34. The thing I can just move it onto my share screen and be like, this right. is what you see. That that could be really handy. Uh, I don't I don't know if you have plans for that, but c- consider that free advice, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I agree with Mark. That that there's a really there there are different barriers now. You know, and I think games that are taking that into account uh, have a leg up and and Airway certainly seems like it's got that sort of that sort of play in its back pocket, even though, you know, I'm sure you were working on this way prior. to well, That's right. To this, but but it's it's the sort of thing where, you know, in this in this weird time, there's 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 an advantage to not having to roll dice. That's right. You know, like not having to have a dice roller that you're like typing, like oh, it's three d six, you know, and then enter, and then like it it it, it halts things. It, it's something that I found in like trying to run like uh, or even play, not even run, but I, I can't imagine tr- being a GM these days trying to uh, do like something like D or Pathfinder online. It's just like such a I mean, there's so many apps now, right? That are just here. You need this app basically in order to to play. Uh, you know, have a battle net. Tokens, dice rolls, blah blah blah. And now with this, everway has got like, no, you don't need, you don't need none of that stuff. You have these cards, and you don't need dice rolls. We have an interpretive structure where we can all look into the camera and say, this is what happens, and this is what's going on. And I, yeah, I like that a lot. They didn't, but I hadn't really considered that. up until Mark said something, but yeah. It's really- yeah,
1: the, the PDFs of the game, all they have all the fortune card images in them you can buy the pdfs when you uh, back Everway, or you can buy the hardbacks and then you'll also get the pdfs so oh, one way or another yeah you'll have digital versions of all of those
0: oh yes yeah, so that's great then you can just throw the pdf on the screen and zoom in on it, bang you're done yeah this cool. is cool
1: yeah well yeah so i hope everyone obviously goes and uh, jumps on that kickstarter it's yes. a- a going until march 4th
0: yeah it's it's live right now and it's uh very fully funded and uh yeah i'm 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 just excited for it because it, it look I mean, art, the art looks great that's one of the things that like will get me to back an rpg probably more than anything these days is like like getting the art and like you know some of the some of the some i mean there's, there's an rpg art out coming out now that is just stunning and you know really i'm really happy with like how how, how good everway looks like, right it holds up really well after 25 years i've got to say <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah and and the new stuff that's with it too also looks great and um,
1: also great
0: yep yeah. well shoot we're, we're yeah. like an hour and 20 um, that's right you uh uh we, we can keep going i'm not sure what, what's your timeline like you, oh yeah you're it's the right. midwest it's, it's, i'm
1: in i'm in the Midwest. it's yeah it's t- here i'm i'm feeling it all yeah. right well thank
0: you so much jonathan for joining us you bet uh, thanks for having me on I yeah. love talking about my games yeah well i mean why so do i so um yeah <laughs> and when uh you know when this starts getting closer to delivery i think uh i think it'd be neat to have you on again and and, and sort of like do a, maybe even a post-mortem on like the the process and um what what uh, like fun. yeah all right thank you so much guys yeah. Uh, thanks for listening to another Flail Forward. Uh, remember, it is night where you are, so good night.
1: Yeah, all right, and uh, I see you, Mark, and Catrice. See you, Rob. Yeah, right. thank you so much, Jonathan. It was uh, lovely to get to pick your
0: brain,
2: so thanks for yeah. sharing your design insights with us.
0: Yeah, and you, I'm pretty inspired yeah, to do something like that. the going way more imagistic now because there's so many advantages I'm seeing. <sighs> time for another rewrite. Yeah. <laughs> everybody thanks for listening if you like this episode or not we're not picky leave us a review on itunes or anywhere else you listen to podcasts you can find us on facebook instagram twitter reddit and uh and pornhub because why not gotta go where your audience is right good night everyone